Welcome to a new episode of Deep Dives with Tremeka Benjamin. This podcast brings listeners an in-depth look at innovative strategies within higher education for higher education executives. I'm really excited to welcome the president of Broward College to this episode. His name is President Greg Hale, and I'm going to talk to him about his Broward Up movement. The Broward Up movement expands access to education in some of the most in-need communities in Broward County. Now, I want to be clear, this is not a project, this is not an initiative, this is an approach to education and the delivery of education that turns what we know about higher education delivery and pedagogy completely on its head, completely different than anything that I've seen any other institution do. And when we talk to him about the equitable opportunity and access to opportunity that he's created, I mean, This is a model that I hear so many times, institutions trying to build, but can't quite find the sweet spot. And I'm gonna tell you something, President Hale and his leadership team, they found that sweet spot and it's super exciting. I'm super excited to share this episode with you and please know this one's gonna be great, but there's a whole lot more to share and wealth of knowledge from other industry titans. And I need you to listen to them by going to deepdivestv.com. So let's dive in with President Hale. President Hale, thank you so, so much for being on the show. I have to admit, it's like I'm a little giddy because I knew you as you were chief counsel. Is that what it was called? What was your title? I prior? Was the, uh, it was a little bit long title, but I was the general counsel and vice president for public policy and government affairs. Yeah, well, all of that. And I am so proud to know that it is shortened significantly now to President Hale. So congratulations on your president. I know it's been a while, but I just want to tell you how excited I am for you. And you are clearly doing some amazing things. And before we jump into this, I just want to make sure that you're okay. Do you mind if I take the president off and just call you Greg for the rest of this discussion? I would welcome that, Tremika. All right. Awesome. So I'm so excited about this show because I really want to talk about your Broward Up program. But before we start talking about Broward Up, what I really want to talk about is this work that you've done so far to get Broward Up to where it is and the journey by which you got there. So first, tell me, how did you even figure out what were the needs that the community had before you decided to create Broward Up? Yeah. Well, Jimmy got I certainly appreciate the, the question. And let me just first thank you for even giving me the privilege and Broward College the privilege of telling you about the work that we're doing. We are very excited about it. And our communities are excited about it. And I would suggest that, you know, there are really two bases for us really getting aggressive about this work. And it should be no surprise that some of it is grounded in just the very real world data. And frankly, some of it is grounded in my own personal experiences that I've lived. And it creates a large part of the fabric for the work that I pursue and the reason why I work in the community college world and I'm very excited about it. I uh, did not have uh, the privilege of growing up in South Florida. I absolutely love it here. But I actually grew up in South Jamaica, Queens, New York. And I grew up in that area, which is frankly a notoriously challenged area. Right. Uh, I grew up there in the 80s and 90s. Uh, unfortunately, due to the height of the crack epidemic, and just to paint somewhat of a picture, I had bars on every window of my home. There were drugs and all other kinds of crimes taking place, drugs being sold, uh, crimes occurring across the street from my home. I lost friends uh, to the left and right. And it was just one of those scenarios where very routinely there were crimes of violence occurring. And there's a lot to be said about that. But the bottom line is this. Uh, I grew up in a family where we didn't really talk about college very much. And my mother did something 
that I'm very grateful for, but at the time I can imagine may have stimulated some fear for her. And she lied about my address so I could go to school in a better neighborhood. And so starting in the third grade, she'd used an old address so I could go walk through the projects, get on the bus for 45 minutes, get off the bus and walk for another 10 or so minutes before I got to my elementary school. And I did this from third grade through ninth grade, so through middle school. But a really pivotal point came for me. In the sixth grade, I was graduating from elementary school. And I said to a friend, it was 1989, and I said to a friend, isn't this amazing? We're going to be the last class of the decade. And he, who was from a far more affluent area than I was, said, no, we're going to be the last class of the millennium because we're going to graduate college in 1999. Wow. And so I'll say two quick things about that. One, it was a sixth grader who was not only telling me another sixth grader so that I could hear the word college for the first time which in and of itself to me is astounding. But perhaps more astounding is the reality that here I was hearing the word for the first time from another sixth grader who knew exactly what year he was going to graduate. And let's be honest, your situation is the same. What you're describing is the same situation that many of the students in the community college system face. That's right. Each and every day. You're absolutely right to me. This story retells itself over and over again throughout our country every single day. But of course, when you're living it, when you're in the middle of it, when you're a sixth grader, you don't you don't know. You, you don't know even, that. You don't even think to have to reconcile that. In fact, I didn't really think to have to reconcile that until far, far beyond that time. My mother continued to fabricate my address through middle school, as I mentioned. I ended up going to the high school that was located in my community after my mother and my stepfather did every single thing they could to get me to a school outside of that community. And just to paint a picture of this high school, it was in the cohort of the first 40 schools in New York that would require metal detectors. Mm. It was recognized for having a high HIV rate, high teen pregnancy rate, and had a very high dropout rate. So all of these factors that were existing. And by the way, at the time, you know, my mother and my stepfather clearly did not want me to go to this school, but the school was a reflection of my neighborhood. So it's not the idea of being around some of that kind of behavior was not atypical. I had a bullet coming through my living window as a child, right? So these are the things that we dealt with. But when I decided that I would go to college and and think, and I reflect today about how that just fickle seed was planted by a fellow sixth grader, I went away to college at Arizona State University. And I went there sight unseen because I did not know that you were supposed to visit colleges. I actually ended up going there because for two reasons. One, I wanted to go very far. And two, they had criteria that was going to allow me in. One, you had to meet two or three criteria. One, you had to have a decent SAT score, which I did have. You had to have a 3.0 or 3.25, which I did not have GPA. I graduated high school with a 2.7 GPA. Now, here's the irony, okay? At ASU, to get in, you had to be in the top 20 to 25, 25% of your class. I was in the top 15% of my class with my 2.7 GPA. Wow. You know, so I I ended up going to ASU, went there sight unseen, learned I would need remedial education because I was behind. One of the most uncomfortable components of my first couple of days there was that they had no metal detectors because I was so used to metal detectors. And I share all this with you, Tamika, because a lot of this feeds into who the students are at Broward College, right? Many of them were late to have exposure and the most challenged among us don't get any exposure whatsoever, but they have every capacity in the world to do this work. 
Right. We also have these students who need remedial education, much like I did. Most of our students have some remedial needs that we know we need to reconcile. And of course, many of them have doubts because they don't have family members or friends who've preceded them as collegiate graduates. And so they don't know necessarily about the opportunities. And certainly like someone like me didn't know some of the fundamentals, such as should I visit the college first or how to study it, some of those basics. So I was coming in, Tramika, with this personal narrative and understanding. But then, of course, when you're in the position and you're really engaged in this, you start to understand what is the data telling us and you want to unveil what that data is. So here we are at Broward College and, you know, I pursued the presidency nearly uh, three years ago now. I've been in the seat and a top 10 ranked institution, my Aspen Institute, now four times over, large institution, all the accolades in the world. And what I remember talking to our board as I was investing the time to share with them my view of what this institution could be, in large part, it was around who are we missing? Yep. As great as we are, who are we missing? Who are the kids in the neighborhoods who have no one to talk to at home about college? And we don't want them to have to get lucky to learn about it, right? So, so what I'm hearing you say is, number one, the passion that you found was born into this thing called Broward Up well before you were the president of Broward College. You got to a point where... The seed was planted when you were in the sixth grade and you started this work, if I'm not mistaken, based on zip codes within the Broward College area before you became president, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Well, it was it was actually what I started to do was have the conversation really at the at the, it wasn't before I became president. No, it's actually we started the conversation. Jamaica, when we started the conversation was when I was seeking the presidency. And I said I talked to the board about who we're missing. Right. It, among all the great things that we have going on. And once I was able to get into this seat, one of the first things I did for our team is I asked them and I challenged them. And this was, I have to give you some context here. This was at a time when the unemployment rate in Broward County was about three percentage points. So if you talk to anyone, most anyone about how we were doing, and by the way, the nation was replicating that unemployment rate, maybe slightly higher. Most would say we're doing as good as we could possibly be doing. Mm -hmm. And so what I would question, however, is, How are we doing by city and by zip code? And of course, what now we've talked about so much and so often, but still not enough, is the reality that while the county might be doing well, if you really look into certain communities, you could see that at a time when we had a 3% unemployment rate, there were communities with 10 and 15 and 20% unemployment. And when we started to have that discussion, And we combine that discussion with the mission of our institution to make sure that we are uplifting all of those in our community, right? That means we have to dig deeper and say, what are the communities that compose Broward College doing? How do they look? And more importantly, how successful are they? So when we started to see that, what those numbers were in certain zip codes, and we landed on six, which we call our Broward Up communities, UP standing for unlimited potential. We don't talk about underserved communities. We talk about communities that have unlimited potential that is simply yet to be tapped. And so when we saw the stark realities, we started to get very aggressive about making sure that we were doing our work to serve those communities. And it's impressive because you've completely expanded what the definition of open access means for community colleges with this Broward Up program. So before I jump into my next question, kind of set the table with what Broward Up is, and then I'll be able to jump in and talk about questions like, you know, How did you get all these people to the table? But first, let's share with our listeners, what is Broward Up? So the first thing I'll say uh, is that a lot of 
folks might think of this as an initiative or even a program. And we actually don't, we don't talk about it that way. What we've done is we've changed our business model. Our job is to serve every corner and crevice of this community. So when we expand our access to do just that, that is not an initiative. That is why we were born. That is the work that we were born to do. Yep. That's and re-examining so, your DNA that's and exactly making sure right. that you're meeting it. Right. That, that's yep. exactly right. So we think about this as a change to how we do business, to how we serve. Right. And it's important because that change has to exist in perpetuity. It is when we look at our founding principles, whether it be our mission, whether it be the Truman Report and the commission around making sure that we provide access regardless of barrier, regardless of race, regardless of religion, regardless of the wealth of your father, which is how the Truman Commission coined this work. This has to be a part of who we are, number one. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about what is Broward Up, I often talk about it as we think about the power of proximity. One of the things that we have to be conscious of, and I I have two daughters, I have a nine-year-old and a five-year-old. And one of the things that I I pride myself on, and and as does my wife, Mm -hmm. is making sure that our kids will never remember the first time they learned about college, much like I have a memory of it. They will never have a memory because we've been talking about it because we've been proximate. We've made college proximate in their lives since the day that they were born. And so if you wanted to engage a community or an individual, but certainly a community, you would be proximate in that community. So what we've been able to do, and this is sometimes I talk about this in jest because this is one of the hardest concepts for folks to, to embrace, was that we were going to go into communities and not bounce in and out of communities. We were going to live there. We were going to be between your home and the bus stop daily. How do we make ourselves impossible for you not to see us? And so people would say at the very inception of this work, oh, so are you going to build a bunch of buildings in these communities? And how are you going to get the money to do that, right? You know, you're a community college or you're a state college. Where are you going to get the resources? Like, so what does that mean? Like, you're going to have to hire people? How are you going to train? You're like, well, no. <laughs> yeah, well, you have to, right? Because those are the things that keep us from doing the work that we're supposed to be doing, right? That deficit mindset. And so this is work that I'll be completely self-deprecating here. It could not be just Broward College doing this work. We have so many partners. So let me give you an example of what it looks like. Our first partnership was with the Urban League of Broward County. And in our six zip codes, our Broward Up zip codes, we knew we wanted to be in the heart of them. And so uh, we looked at organizations that have comparable missions. And the Urban League certainly has a mission of uplifting communities. And so what we did is we went to their CEO, Dr. Jermaine Smith-Ball, and we said, we would love to actually be on site in the Urban League facility, in the heart of the community that needs us most, so that we reduce, and this is really important, there are three barriers that we don't talk about enough, although I think they're becoming more salient. And this is the time it takes, the transportation, and the technology infrastructure. We talk about affordability a lot, and that is important. But we talk about serving people who have multiple jobs and children. Time is critical. So I can't ask them to find a way to get to the college campus that's two hours away from your home. I want you to have it in your backyard. Broward College wants you to have it in your backyard. When we think about transportation, a lot of folks don't have the transportation tools to get back and forth. But if we can put it in their backyard, then we can eliminate the need for much transportation. And then the technology infrastructure, which has never been more salient, the challenges related to technology, never been more salient than it is right now. And so we are in facilities like the Urban League that has the technology so that we can leverage the building and the technology to create a classroom environment. And so what we've been able to do in just a little over two and a half years is take that and replicate it now 19 times over in the last two and a half years. 
I tend to believe that this model is replicable because while there are many urban leagues in many communities, there's also very many libraries in communities as right, well. Right. And other opportunities. So in Broward County, there's at least a library in every city. We've partnered with our library system, which has technology and again, facilities and location infrastructure. And we're in libraries where we're teaching classes. We're also in the Boys and Girls Club, which is strategically located in communities of need. So that is, in a nutshell, what the model actually looks like on the ground. And it's interesting because what I love about this is it exemplifies everything in terms of it takes a village and that mentality because the entire community within your Broward up zip codes are wrapping themselves around these students to make sure that they exercise their unlimited potential. And I think one of the biggest challenges, if I were a president or a chancellor or a vice president, vice chancellor listening to this episode The biggest thing, and this is actually one of the most commendable things that I've seen that you've done over the past three years, is the operationalizing of this work, right? It's one thing for a president to have a vision this complex, but I mean, you physically made sure that these 19 partnerships within the business community and the nonprofit community within your area not only just gave you a space, I mean, let's call it what it is, right? So Greg, they are participating in the learning process. They are engaged with these students now. And I just, I guess, how did you build those types of strategic partnerships? And then how did you tackle like some of the challenges? What were some of the challenges you dealt with and how did you overcome those? Yeah. So um, I'll add to the list municipal organizations as partners as well. These are our cities and they provided us with space. So when we think about the partnerships that we have, um, I would suggest that none of these partnerships are particularly new. We are, I should say none of these relationships are particularly new. But what we've really done is activate the relationships and they become very strong partnerships revolving around one, understanding that education is a fulcrum for opportunity in their community, right? So when I talk to political leaders, they know the numbers very well about the unemployment rates in their community Nonprofit organizations may know a lot of these things as well. What they may not know is the attainment rate in these communities. Now, every economist in the world, and I know you're very familiar with this, Tramika, is that the attainment rate for anyone is very closely tied to the economic outcomes over your lifetime, right? The greater the attainment rate you have, the more likely you are to make more money, the more likely you are to have a long life, a healthy life. And there are so many important components that leads to education, the attainment thereof being the most important fulcrum. And so what they didn't know, and this is an important part of the data for us, is we unveiled in all of these cities and all of these zip codes, 12 cities, six zip codes, what the attainment rate was along with the corollary unemployment rate. And so when we started talking to them about, here's your unemployment rate, which they may have known, but here's your attainment rate. So you want to address this challenge in your community? Let's provide post-secondary opportunity to help address this challenge in your community. Now, when you start looking at this data, whether you look at it on a narrow level or a broader level, it's important to reiterate it, to tell that story and over and over again. But our leaders understood it, right? Our leaders get it. And so, thank goodness, they were very receptive to the opportunity of actually being in those communities. So you talk about the work that goes into this, Tremika. Of course, I spend a lot of time talking to elected officials, to business leaders, to nonprofit leaders as well. But here's where it's really important to understand, too. If I even tried to suggest it with just me, I could not be more far off the mark. When we talked to our college about this work, and it really started internally, 
and thinking about optimizing who we are and recognizing who indeed we were missing. I can't tell you how well this college embraced that work. And so we talked about who we were missing and this interest and need and perhaps even a moral imperative to go and get those we were missing. So we shared this information again very early in my tenure as president with the college, the idea and what the structure might be like. And we did this on a college-wide level. In less than 24 hours, we had over 200 college employees who said they want to be a part of this work. Now we routinely have about 400 college employees who want to be a part of this work. And between the internal, between the internal, which I really believe it starts there, and then the external partners that have come to play, you have this community that has decided this work needs to be done. Now, I'll make one more point before I pause for a moment is that the internal constituency around this. I have open office hours, which I've done since the day I took the presidency, and anyone who wants to talk to me can. And there were people coming to me about Broward Up, and they said, I am from this community, or I know this community, or I grew up in this community, and this is the opportunity it needs. So here you had these people, and we started looking at the data. Wait, we, we, we started looking. This person inspired me and said, let's look at the data for the people who are from those communities who work at Broward College, both students and employees. Broward College has about 5,000 employees. And what we started to realize was that there was no greater storyteller than the person who lives the work of higher education and knows personally the community that needs it most. And that's been really powerful for us. Yes, that's a whole new concept to proximity, right? So now it's not just proximity to college. Going to college is just a natural progression of a person's life. But now we're talking about those people who could benefit from Broward Up now have this access to people that live in their actual community who have already benefited Mm -hmm. from Broward College. And what I really like about what you said, and, and to me, it is a major takeaway for a lot of listeners, is that, number one, these are not new relationships, right? The difference is there is a very clear ask. Well. First, you said very clear, here's the need and the problem, right? Then you were very clear, and this is what we need from you, and this is the outcome. And a lot of times, our partners, they support the organizations, but they don't know how to help. You've got to tell them, like, this is what we need, and this is what it will do if you help us. So I I really commend you on that. And let me ask you this. So now you've got your external team. You've got the engagement and the excitement from the Broward College family that they want to be a part. They want to raise their hand to be a part of this Broward Up family and this Broward Up community. How did you build the internal team that was going to operationalize the work? How did you pick that? Yeah. So we started with uh, the volunteers. So we actually have a very healthy commission. And we have about a dozen commission leads. And so we do a case management model for the students who are going there. Because remember, we're trying to attract those with little to no exposure and many challenges, right? And so we have commission teams that address things such as technology infrastructure and providing the technology infrastructure. We have commission teams that are there to address other needs that they may have, whether they be personal needs that are barriers that otherwise wouldn't be a hindrance to them continuing their work at Broward College as a student or affordability needs or whatever it may be. And so we have a commission that works very, very closely on the ground. That's where a lot of our 400 folks at Broward College are actually helping with this work. And we have a great team and uh, Dr. Mildred Coyne, who's on our team, who oversees this work, VP Isabel Gonzalez, and a number of folks who've just done a fantastic job. And it's still 
continues to be iterative, right? We were kind of learning as we were going and what would the needs be? The case management model we implemented very early on, but turned out to be a really critical component because I have heard of others attempting some type of this type of endeavor, but without the case management model. So something that we learned and addressed fairly early on and continue to perpetuate that. But we're continuing to expand. So one of the things that we look at as the next level of this work is how closely are we working with communities to make sure that they understand the true data around the number of folks in their community who are actually going to post-secondary education. Now, what we've seen, which has been great, is in the three years or so we've been doing this, almost three years, we've had over about 2,700 students who've been able to come through the programming. We've had over 1,900 uh, industry certifications that we've been able to award to students out. Amazing stories of students who were in a dire situation and now have jobs making $50,000 a year after getting certificates in a matter of weeks. This is the kind of exposure that otherwise they would not have had. And that is a large what period of time. Of about two and a half years now. About two and wow. a half years. Wow. Yeah. And part of it, too, is the creativity that's coming from our cities and our partners. As they think about exposure, the city of West Park, for example, they did something very creative very early on. They asked us, do you have any Broward College flags? And we said, no, we don't. Why do you need a Broward College flag? And they said, we want to hang the Broward College flag on our municipal flagpole because we want everyone in the community to know that they're the college in their backyard, right? And that's powerful. That's powerful signaling as we think about, again, the power of proximity. Another organization named Handy, which does incredible work in the community, they have now painted a massive mural on their wall speaking to Broward up so that, again, every person who passes by in that community and every one of the kids that Handy serves sees this and knows implicitly that post-secondary opportunity is available to them. So we're watching these partners engage in their own levels of creativity to help to support the interests of the community by way of post-secondary opportunity. That's fantastic. And so I'm assuming that the natural progression is to make sure that these students have the resources and the support to continue on towards whether it's a, an associate or an stackable degrees or a bachelor's degree. So what does that conversion look like from Broward up into a Broward college student? Like, how does that work? Sure. So most of the work we're doing with Broward up is certification based, although students are transitioning into degree programming. And we know we'll see a great deal more of that as time passes. But let me let me take you back a couple of years first. Mm-hmm. Broward College has done an incredible job of inserting industry certifications into its degree-seeking programs. And many institutions have now done this, and it's an important part of the work we do. And the way that work is envisioned to support our students, and I'm coming back to your question, the way this is envisioned to support our students is that with the many challenges our students face, it would be no surprise if a disruptive event occurred in someone's life. But you do not want that person to have to stop out of the degree-seeking program with nothing to show for it. And when you have a backstop certification, if they have to stop out, at least they can say to an employer or potential employer, I have this certification. Now, what we want to be able to do with this work with Broward Up is we're actually offering the certification that can lead to a degree program on the front end. So I told you about the backstop that we've looked at and has been very successful, but now we're leveraging it as an on-ramp. So now we get to talk to students and say, We don't necessarily want you to converse about the two-year degree or the four-year degree that will take you three or plus years to get. 
but let's just start with 18 weeks, right? Because I know life is really difficult, but let's start with 18 weeks. And if you talk to them about 18 weeks and the realities of even a certification providing a true workforce opportunity, that's digestible. So then you get to 18 weeks and you say, hey, did you know that if you did this twice more, you'd be halfway to your degree program, right? And then all of a sudden, you start to build momentum. It's like being on a flywheel and you start to see the momentum build. And now we've already, again, in this short time, seen students who have progressed from the certificate short-term program into the degree program. So now we've kind of changed the mindset about what the opportunity for post-secondary degree attainment looks like. And this has been an important part of this work as we look at on-ramping folks that otherwise may never think about seeking a post-secondary degree. Well, it's interesting because you just answered a a follow-up question that I was going to ask in terms of how do you tackle that competing interest that, you know, traditional recruiters are going to want to tackle those degree-seeking, you know, transfer-seeking students. How do you manage that competition between you know, Broward up and that conversion process. But it almost sounds to me like that isn't an issue because it's so it's case management driven and it's very student experience driven to the point where when it's time to have that conversation, it's not an overwhelming conversation where they have to start from scratch. You take it in bite sized pieces all the way through. Am I I right? I think you're absolutely right about that. And I'll just say conceptually among the reason that those endeavors are consistent, is it remains about a fundamental component of our existence. And that is creating access for all in our community. Mm -hmm. And just because it looks different doesn't mean it's not access. In fact, it is an expansion of our service model. And it's really important for us to understand that. And I have our team gets it. And more importantly than that, our community gets it. So there's a lot of consistency uh, in that work. And we keep coming back to we have to take it upon ourselves to ensure that we are not missing anyone. So I have a a last question for you. And this question is this, what does success look like for Broward Up? When are you going to say, you know, we did it. We're good. I'm so happy. This was exactly what I had in mind. What does that look like? You know, one of the ways I tend to think about this is what's really important, number one, this is not a short-term endeavor. We are trying to wrestle with decades of data telling us the same thing over and over and over again, that there are many people being left behind. One of the data points I talk about very often, and I did even talk about this during my interview process, 50 years ago, the bottom quartile of income earners had 6% of their kids going to college, and the top quartile had 40% of their kids going to college. 50 years later, the top quartile has gone from 40% of their kids going to college to 77% of their kids going to college. And the bottom quartile of income earners has gone from 6% of their kids going to college to a mere 9% of their kids going to college. That data should hurt us all. And so what I think about is, how do we create true equity and opportunity? And when we start to move the needle on that, both as an institution and I hope inevitably as a country, we will know that we are headed in the right direction. Wow. Well, you know, first I want to say that I'm so excited about all of the work that you are doing at Broward College as a whole. I mean, 
from, you know, Aspen Top 10 all the way through to your retention work that you have going. I am going to publicly ask you to please come back because I have a litany of things that I can ask you to share um, with the rest of your peers because everything that I have seen that Broward College has done is factual, database driven, I mean, data driven. Y'all are doing some pretty profound work. So, so thankful to have you on the show today. It means the world to me. And thank you for sharing all of this with all of my listeners. It has been my pleasure and I consider it an honor to be here. Thank you so much, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you so much, President Hale, for being a guest on the show. And thank you so much for sharing your knowledge about Broward Up Initiative. And I want to thank you all for listening to Deep Dives with Tremika Benjamin. So I want you to take a minute, mark your calendar, because next week we're going to get to talk to Dr. Anton Reese. He's with West Kentucky Community and Technical College. And let me tell you what he's done with his workforce training program. It is pretty phenomenal. Anything that you're working on right now, you need to still listen to what Dr. Reese is doing because I promise you, you're going to find a nugget to enhance yours. So if you want more in-depth insights, not quite Dr. Reese yet because I'm going to give you that one next week, but if you want more in-depth insights on some of our things that we've shared in season one, as well as what we've done so far in season two with all of the higher education industry titans, please visit www.deepdivestv.com or subscribe to Deep Dives with Tremika Benjamin through any podcast provider you have. So thanks so much for listening. See you next time.